From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. Since our last episode, a lot has happened between Iran and the United States. It started two days after Christmas, when at least 30 dozen rockets were launched at a military base in Iraq. An American contractor was killed, and several service members were injured. It was this attack that started the chain of events we saw play out this week. In response, the U.S. ordered drone strikes on Iraq and Syria. And then, in response to that, there was a violent Iranian-backed protest on the American embassy in Baghdad. Protesters shouted death to America as they set fires through rocks and used battering rams to try and enter the embassy. And what happened next was huge. Breaking news from the Middle East, where a U.S. drone strike killed one of Iran's most powerful military leaders overnight. The targeted killing of Major General Qasem Soleimani inside Iraq is a dramatic escalation in the confrontation between the U.S. and Iran. The Defense Department released a statement that said the strike was aimed at deterring future Iranian attack plans. Americans waited for Iran's retaliation. And then on Wednesday, Iran fired over a dozen ballistic missiles into Iraqi military bases, where U.S. military personnel are housed and operate. Remarkably, no one was injured. Here's James Carafano, vice president of Heritage's Catherine and Shelby Cullum Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy in an interview on Fox News that evening. Not, not only no reports of American casualties, there's no reports of any casualties, either allied or Iraqis. Uh, that, that's pretty stunning. That, that, that is interesting. I mean, do you think that that has to be intentional? They they intentionally miss not wanting to escalate this any further against a, you know, a president like this that they probably are scared of. Well, you know, that that seems to be the, the general assessment that, that most people are coming out with, particularly if you look at the Iraqi statements, which are kind of bizarre. We're, we're done shooting. And as long as you don't shoot back, we're done here, which which almost seems to be like, please, you know, we're this is it. So this is the worst you're going to get. So don't worry about us anymore. It, it's it does seem to be literally just a face saving fireworks display. Hours later, President Trump responded. Our missiles are big, powerful, accurate, lethal and fast. Under construction are many hypersonic missiles. The fact that we have this great military and equipment, however, does not mean we have to use it. We do not want to use it. American strength, both military and economic, is the best deterrent. So it seems that we're back to where we began. Today, we'll dive a little deeper. Who was Qasem Soleimani? And why was his assassination such a big deal? And what should the United States do next? Luke Coffey, director of Heritage's Douglas and Sarah Allison Center for Foreign Policy, explains after this short break. Overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle? Looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters? The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day, plus interviews with lawmakers, authors, Heritage Foundation experts, and more on the most important policy debates in America today. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast, available every weekday morning. 
Luke, thank you so much for chatting with us today. So who is Qasem Soleimani? Qasem Soleimani is, or was, I should say, the commander of the Quds Forces. Now, the Quds Forces are part of something called the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. And this part of the IRGC deals with external um, covert operations. So basically all the Iranian-backed military operations outside of Iran's borders, especially when it deals with the unconventional warfare, such as finding and supporting uh, guerrilla organizations, uh, funding them, training them, and also conducting more of the uh, more unconventional types of warfare uh, or in term- also uh, criminal behavior as well, such as kidnapping, um, hijackings. So sort of like uh, special sort of forces yes, very of, much so. you know, a branch of the Iranian military. Yeah, well, the, the IRGC is actually a completely separate um, part of the Iranian armed forces that reports directly to the supreme leader. So between Qasem Soleimani and the supreme leader, uh, the Ayatollah, there was only one person, and that's the overall commander of the IRGC. So he had a lot of influence, and because of his uh, specific role um, commanding the Quds forces, he was very powerful. He was a very powerful individual that essentially served as the head of Iranian special forces, Iran's intelligence agency, Iran's uh, special envoy to the region or even foreign minister, um, all kind of rolled into one. So but very high profile. Very high profile. But at the end of the day, he was a general officer in the Iranian armed forces, which uh, made him a legitimate target. Yeah, so I think this is a good time for this question. The New York Times in their daily podcast said that the assassination is the same thing as it would be to take out General Milley. Now, would you agree with that? And if not, how is this different? Well, it would certainly be at the the, the same level because uh, obviously General Milley is very important individual, very senior in the chain of command and very influential. Uh, and what they both have in common is that they wear a uniform. And, you know, people say that Qasem Soleimani is some sort of government official and this was a political assassination. Uh, this is a guy who, um, for the better part of two decades, has been uh, uh, causing havoc and, and uh, turmoil and and uh, death uh, across much of the Middle East, uh, often wearing a uniform. Uh, so he's very much um, a, a military officer, and that made him the target that he was. Let's talk about how much blood does Soleimani have on his hands? What are some of the things that he's responsible for? Well, the most estimates place the number of U.S. service personnel that have died as a result of the actions of his forces at just over 600. So let's just say that's wildly wrong, um, and it's only uh, a third of that. That's still 200 U.S. service members. So he has a lot of American blood dripping uh, off. He had a lot of American blood dripping off his hands. But also, we should not underestimate the sigh of relief that many Muslims across the Middle East are breathing now that he is dead. Uh, this is a man that has enabled Bashar al-Assad, the president of Syria, to continue his killing there. Uh, parts of the Quds forces have been involved with uh, the, the war in Yemen, um, in southern Iraq, uh, where protesters are starting to stand up against the Iranian influence in Iraq, and we've seen hundreds of Iraqis killed 
Uh, we've seen the use of uh, Shia militias in southern Iraq that have uh, direct links to, ha- to Qasem Soleimani. And Hezbollah um, in Lebanon and, and, of course, the threat opposed to Israel. But also the tentacles reach much further. Um, we've seen attempted terrorist attacks as far away as the U.K., the Netherlands, France, uh, Bulgaria a couple a few years ago whenever a group of Israeli tourists were killed. Um, and also the IRGC and the Quds forces were responsible and or behind the attempted assassination of the ambassador from Saudi Arabia to the United States. So he's had a very long reach over a number of years. So other presidents could have taken out Soleimani a while ago, but they did not. Why do you think Trump did now? Well, I think that uh, this led. Th- this is a consequence of a series of events that led Trump to this conclusion. Uh, the The main straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, was when uh, a Shia militia in Iraq that w- that is backed and supported by the IRGC. Uh, killed a U.S. contractor. And that led off a chain of events that eventually brought Soleimani to his demise. Uh, The U.S. had to demonstrate that that was a red line, that if these Shia militias are going to target U.S. um, citizens and U.S. uh, service personnel and, and security contractors, that something had to be done. And that's how we got to where we are today. Uh, Qasem Soleimani was um, in Iraq uh, probably to orchestrate or plan the next uh, attack. Uh, Some of his uh, sympathizers and defenders, which I have to say there are quite a few these days, um, say that he was there on some sort of peace mission uh, to help broker a deal, behind-the-scenes deal between Saudi Arabia and, and Iran. And this is, uh, those who follow this matter know how absurd this sounds. When just a few months ago, Iran attacked oil facilities in Saudi Arabia with cruise missiles and took a huge chunk of their uh, oil and gas produ- production offline temporarily. So the idea that a few months later, the Saudis are going to use Qasem Soleimani of all people to try to broker some backdoor agreement with Iran is just absurd. Yeah, that seems unlikely. Yes. So this reminds me of something else I was wondering. So most of these, most of these recent events have taken place in Iraq, and Iraq's parliament voted to end uh, over the weekend U.S. presence in Iraq. Um, but our conflict is largely with Iran. So where is this connection? Why are these? Why are why are they both angry with us right now? On the point about the Iraqi parliament, it should be noted that. Uh 150 parliamentarians uh, didn't show up to vote. So that's about half. Okay. Uh, So the Kurds and the Sunnis did not show up to vote. Those who did vote to kick out U.S. troops from Iraq were mainly from Shia uh, dominated political parties. And even some of these were, it's suspected that they were coerced into voting a certain way. And also this vote in the Iraqi parliament has no legal binding uh, on the Iraqi government. So it was more symbolism than anything else. But the reason why Iraq is sort of the focal point here is because the close connections that some in Iraq have with Iran, mainly the um, the uh, Shia 
uh, population of Iraq has a very close connection to the Shia population in Iran. And Iraq is not exactly the most stable country in the world, which creates a space for these nefarious actors to come in and act. And that is why I think we've seen Iraq become such a focus again in the larger geopolitical picture with Iran. So let's say Mark Esper, General Milley, President Trump, let's say they're listening right now. What should the United States do next? Well, the United States should, in the first instance, should make sure that uh, we are prepared for any sort of retaliatory attack from the Iranians. And I think that this administration has done a good job with that. We've heard about troop deployments back to the Middle East. We should not um, misconstrue these as being part of a future invasion force for Iran. No one's calling for this. No one wants this. Certainly President Trump. Uh, but these additional forces, which are relatively small in number, are going there to help protect the U.S. forces that are already there. So that's the number one thing. The number two thing I would do is to continue with this maximum pressure campaign and make the cost of Iran Iran's aggression so high that they won't uh, – even think about attacking. And if they do attack U.S. service personnel or if they do attack U.S. allies, then then our response to that needs to be even greater. They have to understand that uh, at the end of the day, as President Trump has made clear even today, that he wants a negotiated settlement. Even Mark es- uh, Secretary Esper said uh, during his press conference that he wants uh, uh, this to lead to a negotiated outcome. But until that point, Iran needs to learn that its uh, continued aggression in the region is not going to be tolerated. Thank you again, Luke, for joining us. That's it for this week's episode. I'll put our latest report on Iran in our show notes, and you can follow today's guest, Luke Coffey, on Twitter at Luke D. Coffey. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on all of the podcast apps. You can also find full episodes on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Tim will be back next week with an all-new episode. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by Thalia Rampersad.